0: Um, you are in the Book of Mark, and I, what I want to do, as I do regularly, when we're when we're going through this, thank you so much, David. And what I reg- do regularly is I want to first uh, give a give a kind of an introduction to the text. Um, I'm always eager that we we understand the text, so and uh, maybe this part of this is just being a literature major, but I'm always kind of earnestly. I think we read the Bible in such weird ways. We read it like it's some sort of special magic book. Or we don't understand its own. It has narrative structures. And in fact, there's a very clever, clever, wise way that Mark is being written by Mark, I think, under the, uh, as, as uh, tradition would tell us, under the direction and uh, voice of Peter. So um, there's a thesis in the first verse of Mark. So this is the gospel of the Son of God the gospel of the Son of God, and he has been eager to prove this thesis, and he's done it in a number of ways. One of the great ways, he said, it was three great examples, three great examples. God was Lord of the, Lord of the storm, Lord of the storm, and Lord over, of life and death, and uh, I can't remember the third one right now. There's a, there's a sequence of them, though. There's they're, they're stupendous, uh, stu- oh, it's suffering, suffering, too, and the demonic the gathering Demoniac. So this, this happened about two chapters ago, and Mark is positioned to to reach out to and to 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 tell people about Jesus, who are Greeks, who are people who were familiar with things like Zeus stories, uh, lead in the Swan. Uh, uh, the, Zeus would, uh, he would become an animal and, and have sex with women and all sorts of there was, I mean there was all sorts of stories about a god becoming a man. It's very common part a feature of that ancient worldview, and the Hellenistic worldview in Greece and Rome. Now, these kinds of evidences, the, the, the conquering of the demonic forces, lord of the storm when he calms the winds and the waves, when he, has, when he raises the dead, they're the kind of stories that were met. everybody would get it. Oh, this is a god. And so it, it's a very, that's the claim being made. Maybe you don't agree with that claim. Maybe some of the original hearers didn't agree with the claim as it pertained to Jesus. But at least we understand the claim. Does that make sense? I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not engaging you if, if you're a skeptic right now. That's, that's, that's fine. Uh, hold your skepticism and watch what we're talking about. But, but um, I want you to understand what he's trying to do. But then he switches, he switches a little bit, because he, he has another audience, a Jewish audience. And we've been looking at the last set of, uh, of stories where Christ walks on, on water. And where he feeds the 5,000, and he answers the religious leaders and their questions. And these are all distinctively Jewish. Distinctively so. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the older part of our ancient writings, God, God fed his people, manna. Well, he's feeding his people. Uh, God parts water. He walks on water. Uh, he answers. and. It, There's a a wonderful sort of mining, as it were, reaching into uh, the Jewish concepts and the Jewish scriptures. In fact, it's so remarkable that there's a word that is very rare in Greek, very, very rare, It only occurs once in the New Testament, and only occurs once in the Old Testament, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint, and that's the word for somebody who stutters, and we're going to see it's in verse 32 And that's from Isaiah 35. Now I'm going to read Isaiah 35, uh, verses 67, right around there. Then I'm going to read this text. I'm going to give you hey, one, more, one more little point exegetically. There are two feedings. There are two conflicts with religious leaders. There are two miracles where Christ touches somebody and spits, and we're going to see them today. There are two miracles, two religious conflicts, two feedings of 5,000, 4,000, and there's two times that Christ is said to sigh and groan. Now, does anybody remember what the significance of two is in the Old Testament to the Jews? What's the significance of something happening twice? Anybody know? It's a, it's a legal requirement. You need how many witnesses to prove something? Two. So Mark is very, very wise. What's he assembling? Two witnesses about the feeding? Two witnesses about the healings? Two witnesses about Christ? Now, the only other thing I'll say here is Mark now, having met some of the Greek requirements for the Son of God now meets these Old Testament requirements. But there's one other thing, the sighing and groaning, the emotional life of Christ, that is not Greek. That is not Greek. God does not feel like we do. He doesn't experience things like we do. This is a new idea. And I think it's meant to, it's meant to correct. Now let's read this in... And hopefully you'll see there's some real, there is really some deep structure here. I'm going to read, and as I read, I'm going to first we're going to pray. We're going to ask for Holy Spirit guidance as we read. As I read, I'll, I'll stop occasionally to give a little bit of a little bit of context, and then we'll we'll mine this for his theological and ethical ethical um, implications. Let's pray, Father. Um, uh, I believe that the scriptures are only spiritually discerned and understood. I, all this data and information, narrative structure, it, it's really quite irrelevant if our hearts are hardened, as we will see here. And so uh, we ask uh, we ask from, for, from you for uh, w- wisdom and insight that does not come from us and does not come from me, it doesn't come from a whiteboard, but that comes by the presence and power and authority of the Holy Spirit. And we pray for this in Christ. Amen. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, it's an area of about ten cities. That's why they called the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. That's the passage from Isaiah 35. I said I was going to read that. And this is going to be relevant because the religious leaders asked for a sign. Isaiah 35. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That language is exactly reproduced here. He had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. Uh, I, this is such a poor translation. I, uh, English in sigh, uh, and Hebrew and Greek in sighing, uh, well, if I sigh about something, it could be a longing, couldn't it? Like, ah. Oh. You know, or it—it it is a distinctly negative word in Hebrew and Greek. It means to groan. It's not. It's a sigh of ah. Oh. It's always painful. It's always painful, and I think the English translation has more nuance than the Greek and the Greek and, and Hebrew does. He sighed and said to him, fatha, that is, be opened." He. This is a direct translation of the Aramaic, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus tar- charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Um, that's actually a double, a double, a double superlative. Much more better they planned. It. Like it's just there's a frenetic nature. Th- these words are expansive and very, 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 very big. Uh, things are going nuts, and they were astonished beyond measure and saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done all things well. What does that sound, by the way? There's a little note there. He has done all things well. He did all, th- and he saw that everything he had made was good. You catch the echo? Genesis 131. And the crowd, which is so fickle and foolish, they're recognizing something. Religious leaders won't. In those days, when again a crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, "I have compassion." Um, you, where's your spleen? I can never remember. Your spleen's like that's the, the word for spleen. Is not it? spleen? It's the bowels, like in his gut. To have your gut twisted. We have a doctor here. It's right here, isn't it? Somewhere back here. Back here. Left side. It just means you are twisted up inside. It is a word of the most profound emotional effect on the crowd. Because they have seen with me, been with you now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he he said that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. That word for test is the same word for temptation, trial. And he sighed deeply. Now the word for sighing, the word for emo- this emotional state is intensified with a prefix, and now it is... <sighs> Groaning with pain. Why, did said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, and this is by, it, the core word here. cautioned is, he was talking. He just was kind of, he was saying this uh, more than once. Watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began discussing with one another the fact that they have no bread. (laughs) Jesus aware of this said to them, Are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or or understand? Are are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. I can imagine this is kind of an uncomfortable conversation at this point. And, and, and he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind, blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when, they had, when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. You know what's amazing about this? In recent restorative surgery, this is exactly what the process of restoration looks like. We know now. When people first, have, they, they can't understand what they see. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Now, we're going to take some more time over this text, and we're going to go into piece by piece. I wanted to give you some of the macro, the macro vision here, because I wanted to talk, explore the emotional life of Christ. So... So I'm standing by the. This is yesterday. I was sitting by the bed, and and uh, and um, Robin is sitting there, and um, none of us. I don't think any of us really enjoy hospitals, um, even our doctors, and so uh, it's not a whole lot of fun. It's not a fun place to be, and there's a there's a tube. You know, especially when people have tubes going in and out of their nose, and it's draining as you're talking, and you can see fluid, and and. Every breath is kind of a struggle as he's laying in the bed, and I can see over him, and I can see the vision. I can see Golden Gate Bridge, and he can't see anything. He's too too low in the bed, and, and I'm talking to him, and um, I asked his permission to share this today, and he said I could. So, and uh, I said, well, you know, you're, it, it says I'm, t- I'm talking tomorrow. I said on on the fact that Jesus. Groans. He sighs, and and it's it's an interesting. He he sighs in several contexts here. He sighs when he's confronted with uh, the ruin of this world, like this is like this guy. Uh, the you, you, we've all had that experience of seeing somebody with a speech impediment uh, or hearing them and seeing them struggle to talk, and you, your heart goes out. <laughs> Don't you, you expectancy? Like it it hurts a little. Um. And so the the evidences of that, the, the awareness of it, it's very vivid, right? It's very vivid. And and you hear it, and I and I hear it. And and, and then a little later he he's sighing again because of the hypocrisy and the self-righteousness of religious leaders. And 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 it, it's a it's a completely different problem, but it's the same root. <laughs> it's a completely different phenomenon, but has the same. It's the same problem, a, same, a different facet of the same problem. The ruin of sin is in the world. The ruin of sin is in the world. The ruin of sin has is, has sabotaged the physical well-being of him, men and women, and the mental and spiritual well-being of men and women, and so that they are deluded or suffer. All of this, and he, and I have the sense, if we look at this textually, and as it, there's a Marcus. Marcus doing a couple of things here. The first thing he's doing is he's, he's exploding this thesis. And I was talking to Rob, and I said, how do you feel when you hear that Jesus groans? Is that, what does it do? That, do you find comfort in that? And he said, so, so much. So the first thing that it does with this thesis, especially for the Greeks, especially for rationalists, especially for people who are like the idea of a god as a theist, as something abstract, you know, something out there, is that what this does is this explodes that. This is the god who is not an abstract force that has a name and has a personality and has a presence and has the ability to be moved by the suffering of others. So he's answering, actually, an ancient heresy called doceticism, and... Uh, And what that means is, Jesus just appeared to be a man, just like Zeus would just appear to be a person. He just just manifested himself somehow, and he's not really like us. He doesn't really experience, he doesn't really feel the wounds don't get to him, and that simply isn't true. And Mark, in earnest here, uh, takes us to uh, Christ, takes us, and, and, and takes this thesis and makes it distinctively Christian, distinctively, beautifully Christian, by opening up a door for us into the emotional life of Christ. The God-man, the Son of God, with compassion and groaning and emotional connection with suffering and emotional recoil. Like, we've, um, we've all had the emotional experience of, Somebody, maybe perhaps with a speech impediment. We've also had that emotional experience of being next to somebody who's a self-righteous jerk. (laughs) Anybody had that emotional experience? That's just about as bad as the other one. You feel judged and frustrated by the hypercritical, you're a, you don't know as much as me. Prove that you're, prove you're really spiritual to me. And so uh, anyway, so so it's the first thing he does is he answers that. The second thing he does is he answers the Jewish expectation through detailed fulfillment of Isaiah 35. It makes the religious leaders' objections about we want a sign to to appear just as they really are, nothing less than a prove-it standard that he has already met, but that's not what they really want. When people really want proof like this, uh, engineers are just like this. You're your, your information monsters. You always want more information, right? You always want more information. If I have more information, then I'll be able to make a decision. Now, you know that's actually not true. There, there, there's, you'll never have enough information to make the perfect decision. But, the, but when you get caught up in that, in, that, in that information kind of process, I want more, I want more, but you're not really addressing the real problem is your own fears, and insecurities, your desire to look good as an engineer, you, know, you want to make sure that you don't make a mistake, and all these different other impulses. And we do the same thing. And that's what they're doing. They're protecting CYA. It's cover your butt. It's make sure that we, you know, or, or, or make sure, you know, It's he, that's what they're doing. And, and, and they refuse. They know these texts. You know what's uncommon for one of these ancient, uh, my, my professor of Hebrew said he met a rabbi by the Dead Sea who had memorized the entire book of Isaiah in Hebrew. It's not that unusual. They know these texts. They know he has actually fulfilled. They refuse to see it. They refuse to acknowledge it. So Mark has the goal of addressing uh, fragile and insufficient and, and, uh, and abstract ideas of the Son of God that would have been ripe in the Greek world by making Christ fully man as well as fully God. And then for, the, for these ancient, the ancient Jews, he, in particular, twice over, again and again, meeting the standard of two witnesses, brings to them the fulfillment of their own scripture. And... Uh, So, what are we going to do with this? Well, I think the third thing that Mark wants to do is invite you into a connection with Christ. You see, there's abundant you can read this as an intellectual Greek. You can read it as a Jew, wondering if you if he has really met the standards. But there's a third way to read it whether the way the disciples fail to. You could be close to Christianity and still not have connected with the personal connection and love of God in Jesus Christ. He is promising in his compassion his journey to the cross. He is mapping out where his heart is. He's not not full of self-pity. He doesn't go to the cross passively. He's going to the cross after this, to die on the cross, out of this heart that's being displayed for you. It's a map of the emotional disposition and motives of Jesus as he goes to a cross to die for sinners and rescue us out of our guilt and shame that he is so broken over. It is describing his pathway emotionally and rationally, finally. And so Mark isn't eager when he writes this, not to merely prove things, but to finally bring to you what you can't. And this gets a little frustrating. There are six questions he brought us. You understand? Can't you see? Can't you hear? And uh, and they should have known better. And the disciples should have known better. And religious leaders should have known better. There is a there is a a blindness to the human heart in this final one. That um, when I was uh, some of you are from the south. When I worked in uh, when I worked in Georgia, that was, was really profound. Where people would have all the right words it was very obvious they didn't really know God. You ever been around people like that? And uh, I'll meet it here. It's, it's different. It's more like a, 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 a very winsome kind of spiritual yearning. You know, I'm very spiritual. But the darkness feels the same. It feels the same. It feels somehow impenetrable. This last riddle is to connect us personally with Jesus, to connect us with His life and His love and His power and His desire in the cross. It is to match us with His wonderful healing power. How we do this? By faith and trust and surrender to Christ. I would suggest, if you don't understand the things I'm saying right now as I'm talking, just begin to pray in your heart that the Holy Spirit would activate, would activate it. You know, as these people come to the Son of God, the religious people are attacking. Maybe you're attacking. The crowds kind of marveled and astonished, but astonishment is not faith. <laughs> you mean, wow, this is why. I really like this. This is really fascinating. It's not faith. The disciples are close, and alle- they have allegiance to, the spe- to, to Christ as, as a leader, but they still don't get the map of his soul and love that he's uncovering and his road to the cross. If you can't see it, If you can't see it, um, just start praying right now in your heart, asking this God to show himself so you would see it. Perhaps you haven't seen it in a long time, or perhaps these stories don't ring fresh for you. Some of you have walked with Christ for a long time. What is this story supposed to do for us? I think it's supposed to alert us to what it looks like to live in this world. To have the heart of Christ. Um, are you suffering right now in, for your faith? Are you really suffering for being a Christian? Many of us aren't. I'm going to suggest a path toward suffering that is available and open and an invitation to everyone who knows Christ. Get dirty in people's lives. That's, you want to suffer? You want to suffer, really? Get close to Deepak. You'll suffer. <laughs> I live with him. <laughs> no, no, no. The same is true for Deepak having to live with me. And us living together. It's true in our marriages. As we get close to people, we learn all the things that never change about them. All the things we can't stand. All the things that they would like to change but can't. All the misery of their family of origin stories. All the dysfunctions about how they solve problems. All the self-righteousness. Anybody have a self-righteous spouse? I know you can't raise your hand. It's okay. (laughs) I know you can't. I know you want to, but you can't. We're being invited in all ministry in Christ into groaning. And the sooner we get over it, the sooner we're going to be at peace with some of the ministry of this life in this world, right? But there's a groaning that's going to be happening. And there's going to be a gut-wrenching of moments when we are face-to-face with the need and the hunger of our city. You see? And so, and, and, and so Christ, it, it, as, as, I've, as I've painted Him, I've painted Him as after your heart, having compassion on you and me as sinners in our ruin. But then as we know Him, as we have discovered Him, as we have... We have been reborn. Now we're invited into the same journey, because uh, because that's what it means to be a people of love. Somebody was asking me, "How do we reach the attics in the alley, Minna? And uh, I've seen God do this. It's all, I've seen it happen. It can happen. It really can happen. You know, as deep a miracle has to happen for a guy shooting heroin as it does for a new age person who's really enlightened, as much as it is for an old fr- a southern frat brother to finally give his life to Christ. <laughs> it's the same miracle. It's the same distance from God. Just one looks more distant. They're all equidistant in this text. Nobody gets it. We all need Christ. So, <laughs> um, that, that's a message to those for you to come to Christ. The other message is for us to adopt a way of understanding suffering This is the most authentic engagement with the world and its suffering, and we need to adjust expectations. I would even say this. Christ is perfectly holy, and I think there's nothing more holy than a daughter or a son. There's a a certain beautiful holiness in our brokenness over the sin around us, and not a brokenness that looks at it, a brokenness that's next to it. Does that make? Do you understand the difference there? I'm not saying we ought to point out the sins of our community. I'm saying that the sins of our community should be making us uncomfortably. <laughs> should. That's part of that spit thing. Spit. Jesus spits. Isn't that weird? Some God spits. He spits. What's that? Mm, it's passionate, intimate identification with the ruin of this world and I love them for it I um, um, want to end with this the, um, there's, a, there's a story um, came across it uh, years ago in this illustrations for preaching and teaching actually I know it's kind of corny most of them are really corny um, a couple of them are really cool. You've already heard me use them if you've been around here. But this is from a missionary named Greg Fisher, who was teaching at West African Bible College. And uh, most of the uh, he noticed that these these rural and uh, and rustic preachers had very very telling questions. And they were on First First Thessalonians four sixteen, and uh, it says that Christ will descend from heaven with a loud command, and the the, the uh, African preacher said. It says that Christ will descend with a loud command when he returns. What's what's the command? What does he shout? And uh, Gregory (laughs) Fisher was saying he had just been talking to a man whose family had been killed in the Liberian Civil War, and he was sitting there talking. He just, just been talking to the guy earlier that day, and this guy, this African preacher, saying, what is Christ going to shout when he returns? And it was him. I think he's going to shout, enough, enough, I'm done with the suffering, enough suffering, enough sin, enough ruin, enough death, enough blindness, enough unbelief, I'm done. And uh, that's the Christ that Mark's thesis is bringing to us today. Let's pray. Father, Father, you're good. You're good. and Your word is good. And I pray that your word would have had its way with us today. Would have had its way of exposing uh, who our Savior, who your Son is as our Savior. That it would have let us into a map of His heart, His emotional life, and His emotional life for us. His emotional um, uh, affection, uh, 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 the impact that my suffering, our suffering has had, and had on Your Son, and how that led Him to a cross. Father, I, I pray that we would, uh, we would be able to see it, we perceive it, we would be informed by it. We'd have new ministry, a new heart for engagement with this world because of it. Then we would be unafraid of that. But we'd also have new eyes to see. Um, I don't want your son, I don't want these questions to be asked of us. Do we not see it? Do we not understand? Anyway, I, pr- I pray that your scripture would have had its full effect today. Um, and uh, whatever I have said that isn't worth remembering you' just be forgotten, but whatever you have said that, that, that would penetrate our hearts with new life and new joy and new power, that that would stand. And uh, I pray this in Christ. Amen. Every week we have communion. Um, I try not to spit on it, but uh, I have nothing holy about my spit. Um, and the reason I, th- I love that, that language of the fingers and the, and the, is because on the night he was betrayed, Jesus Christ took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you to take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink. Do this and remember me. So he also said elsewhere, unless you eat my bread and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Christ was very fond of earthy, tactile, in-your-face, touch it, feel it, taste it kind of images. He's not a an abstract theologian. He is a God of bread and vino. I love that. Why? uh, Why is this tactile? Why did the deaf man? I'm sorry, the mute man with the with the uh, and the and the blind man? Why? Why did he have to be so tactile? Why does it have to talk like that? So you would know it's that tactile. This is a space-time event, so not not an abstract idea. So I say to you, I invite you to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to read the Apostles' Creed. I ask, and I am I am obliged to ask, and I am happy to ask you to assent to all those truths as True events, true historical events, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I ask you, if you will take this table, that you believe that he is the Son of God and that he died to save sinners and rose again on the third day, and that his blood and his body is is an antidote uh, and a rescue uh, of his love in this world for you, for sinners. So come. You don't have to understand everything to come, but you need to understand that. If you don't get that, then just watch. If you don't believe as a skeptic and you, you listened today and wondered, how could anybody believe that there's such a thing as a God, man, in the world, then I ask you just to watch us. And uh, I hope your curiosity will be piqued and your, your hunger that, that God could really be known would be a, a, awakened. But there's a third group I want to discuss. And that is, um, did you notice how, how Christ, uh, how firm he was with the self-righteous, with the religious? He said, I'm not going to give you anything. I want you to hear this today. If you think you're a good man or a good woman, and that's how you come to God, I want you to hear what Jesus says to you. He has nothing for you. Good people are not worthy of the table. Only sinners. Only sinners. Only the ruined. And he looks upon the ruined with what? What? Mm, it's a good table alright so that's how we're going to come to the table this is wine to the right and to the left the center part here the nine cups is grape juice for those who prefer it these are actually gluten free crackers because Jesus is gluten free in San Francisco <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we're going to take the table I'm going to ask you to come forward as we recite the creed as we say the creed together take the bread and wine back to your seat we'll take it together and then we're done. I think we're we're coming under an hour here. Nice. I know, kind of amazing. Um, and then uh, lunch. Does anybody want to go get lunch at all? So we're going to the Presidio off the grid. Off the grid at the Presidio. Yes. And if anyone would like to join us. Uh, we okay. It starts, at noon. it starts at noon. Do you guys have wheels, or you go? Oh, no, you don't, because you're. the. Yeah, she's you're, she's take some you take some people. All right. So if you're interested in going to that. Um, I guess I'll, I might be headed over there too. That sounds like fun. All right. Um, off the grid at the Presidio. Let's stand. Uh, tell me, Christian, brother, and sister, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary and the life everlasting. Amen. He said, my body is good food, and my blood is good drink. Come, Come to feed upon the bread of life himself, our Savior, by faith. We believe this is a means of grace, Father, by which you communicate to us anew the reality, the tactile reality of our salvation. His body is good food. Take and eat. His blood is good drink. Take and drink. Do this and remember him. Amen.